All right, Daniel, we are officially recording here. Welcome to Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. I'm really excited to talk to you on this uh, Sunday morning. Master's Sunday is when I'm recording this. Um, so I'm very excited for uh, after this podcast to watch that golf tournament. Um, so yeah, you you reached out to me to come on this show. Um, I know, I think like very minimal details of kind of your story and your experience. Um, I've known you for a couple years now. I remember I met you probably playing basketball um, at PNWU years ago. Um, so yeah, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Logan. So uh, so where are you talking to me from right now? Uh, right now I'm in my apartment in Yakima, Washington. Okay. I've been here since uh, about uh, June of 2019, right before my first year started. And okay. now I'm working remotely. So yeah. And so you were a medical student um, at PNWU a couple years behind me, but you took a break away from medical school. Yeah, I did end up uh, having to stop my first year, just well, for medical purposes, as well as academic ones. It's, I'm sure we'll get into that in more detail within a minute. But what ended up happening, I guess, to make a long story short, is I spent about uh, eight years in the medical scribe industry. I started off as pre-med, but then some hiccups occurred. And yeah. I spent about eight years traveling around the country, implementing new scribe programs and teaching them. And it wasn't until my last site at the University of Michigan, where I started to meet, well, more doctors. And again, it's the University of Michigan. So there are plenty of med school faculty and physicians who I worked for. And they just kept asking me, how come you're not in med school? How come you're not in med school? And they also turned me on to the idea of doing a post program to help uh, beef up my resume yeah. and my application. So I did what's called the uh, MAMS or Masters in the Arts and Medical Sciences at Heritage University, which it kind of served as an unofficial bridge program. Yeah, like a feeder program for med school. Yeah. Yeah, so again, while it was through a different university at the time, time uh, we got to take a course, I'm sure you're familiar with that, SIFOM. Yeah, and I, I think that's when I met you, actually, Daniel, I'm sure, is when you first started that program. Yes, actually, that's, you know, that sounds about right, because I think you were a second year at the time. Yeah, yes, because you were in, in the same uh, MAMS group as uh, Matt Braun, right? He's been on this podcast as well. Yes, yeah, awesome. yeah, that's how I met Matt. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you must have uh, rocked that MAMS program because I know that you did gain entrance into medical school. Um, so great job. You know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm glad to call you a classmate uh, and, you know, uh, PNWU, I, you eventually graduate behind me. I have full confidence in you. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously that MAMS program went well enough that you gained acceptance to medical school. So then what happened when you started medical school? Like, let's kind of walk through, through that experience. Well, let's see. Starting from that from the experience, first of all, MAMS was, or not MAMS, excuse me, SIFOM was, I had to retake the it devil. because, oh, okay. I, yep, I missed the uh, percentage to have the option to opt out by like 2%. Oh, that's a nightmare. I mean, I just, I think well, I just yeah. barely passed that course by a few points. And then for the listeners, you know, so we're referring to a course that's, um, it's one of the first courses you take in medical school. It's extremely heavy in biosciences, biochemistry, molecular understanding of uh, medicine. Yeah, it sucks. It's like, why am I like, come on, like, am I really going to explain this to a patient? I mean, I don't know. I liked it to some extent, but my God, was it challenging. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I took it around, I had to completely change the way I studied. So I got more into active learning. So I started to, well, draw mind maps uh, by the end. What it used to be is undergrad, I used to just recopy everything and just yeah, like, yeah. put it in my own words. Not enough time for that. That even when I was just taking that one course while I was in the master's program. So I, instead, I started drawing out ma mind maps, you know, quizzing myself like crazy, crazy. And then my and then my grades started to go up. Not that I was failing or anything, but I knew I could have did better. Okay. Okay. But, so, so the second time taking second time taking that pretty much went the exact same. Uh, it was everything else, I guess. They say medical schools like drink like drinking from a fire hose. And there was also you had to pick your. I found that I had to pick my battles a little bit more carefully because I was trying to make time for, well, everything, including reviewing 
things from uh, the art of clinical medicine, you know, the uh, clinical skills uh, portion. The thing is, though, is actually I already knew most of those tests and most of, and at least a little bit of that physiology so that I didn't have to pay too much attention to it, mm-hmm. I guess. And instead, I should have focused more on anatomy. And even okay. then, I had to change things up for anatomy as well. So was kind of anatomy the reason that, that led to you wanting to take a step away? Or, or what, what, why, what kind of caused that? Actually, so it was more, what ended up happening was even during SIFOM, there was a period where just, I guess, the pressure came on. Mm. And I do have a history of anxiety and depression. Okay. And suicidal idea and suicidal ideation. Oh, wow. Uh, I guess okay. I'll just, yeah, I'll just drop that. I'll just drop that bomb so right now. the whole point of this show. Thank you for sharing, you know, your honesty. And I really appreciate, you know, that being vulnerable. I didn't know that about you. Um, okay. So you did already kind of have these, this history of sort of mental health challenges. And, and um, yeah, once again, thank you for sharing that. Um, so was that, you know, was that at a young age or was that kind of more recently in your life? You know, I really, looking back, you could see all the signs. But was it ever diagnosed? No. And tell you, have I had, I've had uh, suicidal, but not ideations, they're recurring thoughts of death throughout my life. But it wasn't until, remember how I was talking about uh, being in Michigan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't until one, one of Michigan's, well, legendary winners, <laughs> yeah. where I actually was stuck indoors. And yeah, it was like I was out of, it was like I was out of my mind. It's like a bunch of th- thoughts kept coming to my mind as if it's, I believed a whole bunch of terrible, th- or well, I didn't believe them. A whole bunch of terrible thoughts kept coming, such as you're going to be better off. Your mom's going to be, you know, your poor mom, you're disappointing her. And a lot. And then there was another thought that really stuck out to me, such as my mom and my brother, they love, or my mom, and my dad, they love my brother more than me. I mean, mm, yeah. I knew intellectually. And that's I, not even, true even so oh yeah, yeah even somewhat emotionally even emotionally i knew that wasn't true but it just kept coming and pounding and pounding at me it's funny so, that you you mentioned that thought process because actually i had a very similar thought process when i was in in my my depression at least very initially you know when i was um studying abroad in scotland i remember those same kind of thoughts you know like um yeah, like I'm kind of the weird child of the family or like maybe uh, uh, there's some shame that the family feels towards me. All irrational kind of crazy thoughts like that I know, like you said, intellectually and from a fundamental level, like uh, my family um, had love for me, of course. But it's weird, you know, like I feel like depression is like your mind playing tricks on you, like trying to talk you into things that obviously aren't true but that doesn't mean you don't necessarily have those thoughts and feel those emotions. And so if you listeners are, you know, going through similar thought processes like me and Daniel did, you know, I encourage you to share with anyone to maybe a friend, maybe a family member that can reassure you that, no, you definitely are thinking some crazy thoughts. This is not normal. And uh, it is normal in the sense that I think all of us have thoughts similar to that. And we need to recognize that that's normal to have those kind of negative thoughts the same way it's normal that we occasionally have acid reflux or diarrhea or whatever. And, and talk to your doctor about those thought processes because they're a normal pathology, a normal bad thing that goes wrong with our brains. Um, so I'm sorry for interrupting you. Please go. Please keep going. Oh no. And I'm glad you pointed that out because quite frankly, even if those episodes, any kind of recurring thoughts of death or anhedonia, uh, for those of you who don't know, a lack of interest in doing things, uh, changes in appetite, right, uh, changes in energy level, level altogether, all symptoms and signs of depression. I had been experiencing that throughout my life. It's just I also went to a church, and of course, there's also, well, popular media, which makes it sound like you should just pick yourself up by the bootstraps. They would say things like, you know, suicide is just, it's the selfish thing, thing that you do. Uh, obviously, the victims, the uh like, yeah, the victim's fa- family, I'll put it that way for lack of a better way of putting it. And their loved ones are suffering after the suicide. Mm-hmm. But to call it selfish, it fails to take into consideration what the person, what the victim was actually going through, through altogether. So yeah, I never sought help because of those reasons. This is something I should just buck up and deal with. Mm-hmm. And 
but anyways, what while that happened, and so Michigan, so I let me just real quick, Daniel. So you so um, did you make it all the way to medical school without seeking any sort of uh, professional care for this? It wasn't and while I was in Michigan, I did make an oh, appointment okay. with a primary care provider. But the very first thing they recommended was finding a counselor. But by that time, in a way, I guess I didn't see get help altogether. Yes, I had that one appointment, but then I decided to move back to Washington. And I never saw a psychiatrist or even a counselor up until while I was in med school. I tried, but considering how fluctuant my schedule was, considering I was moving around quite a bit, even when I got back to Washington, never really got a chance to establish with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, were you, is it accurate though? And, and please, you know, disagree with me here, but like, were you doing reasonably well though, gaining entrance into medical school and then did medical school kind of derail, um, your being, your mental health? Well, what ended up happening was so throughout when I returned to Washington after leaving that company, you know, returning from Michigan, I started to do okay. Uh, while I was in MAMS, I still had a few, excuse me, the master's program, I still had a few episodes of depression. But yeah, it was definitely wasn't until medical school where things got very hard. Okay. Matter of fact, that was about halfway through uh, Siphon, the first part, or at least a quarter of the way through the first uh, semester, when I had a very dark episode. I mean, I actually had a plan too. Mm. I remember I left school. I remember I left our histology lab. I walked out and I came home. And since I live alone, I never shut the door to my bedroom. Like almost never did. I pretty much never yeah. did that. But I came home, shut off my phone. I shut off my iPad and pretty much any ways anybody could get a hold of me. Enemy, uh, and I just turned off the lights and I laid in bed and I just started crying uncontrollably. Again, a lot of irrational thoughts. And I started... I started about, to, you know, I started thinking about different ways I could, well, hurt myself. And yeah. it wasn't until I, I called a friend who has experience, not only with dealing with people in similar situations, but also had been there, his, her, their selves. And they became scared and they called my counselor, counselor, my counselor, who I established with uh, beforehand, reached out to me, reached out to me. And we came up with a treatment we came up with a treatment plan the friend who i was referring to stopped by and took any kind of alcohol or over-the-counter medications that i was thinking about using and i just and i continued from there and well thank you for you know sharing kind of those intimate details of of your depression i know that's not easy to talk about and and share that sort of vulnerability and 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 darkness and i really commend you for for doing that, that Daniel. And I hope that, you know, in my experiences, I've, I've shared s similar details about my experiences with, with depression and suicidal ideation. And it's definitely very hard to, to share those things. So like I said, I really am impressed that you're, you're willing to come on an internet podcast show and, and share your experiences. And, and what I've found through sharing is it's actually therapeutic, I think. Because, you know, you sharing your experiences, it's quite tremendous, the impact that you can have on people that are going through similar experiences. And, you know, if you just look at the stats, med students are, are depressed. It's not a fun experience, medical school, especially the start of medical school. So I really think you're going to help a lot of people by, by sharing this. So, so once again, Daniel, thank you. So what happened next? That was that. Well, just a just a uh, comment on what you were just saying. That's actually my hope, and not just and even for people who don't suffer from, well, suicide, suicidal ideation, depression. It's just, it's very important for them to know that this is an actual real thing. But yeah. uh, what happened next? So, part of the problem that I discovered was not only did I stop actively doing the active learning techniques because I just felt like there wasn't enough time, which well, actually, kind of wasn't entirely true to an extent, you know, hindsight's 2020. 20, but uh, what ended up happening is my grades, especially it wasn't uh, SIFOM, it wasn't even anatomy that really led to the problems. It was really my systems courses on top of trying to balance everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just struggling academically. So I remember 
I would, I went to every lecture in person. I never stayed home and watched Panopto or anything like that. But even knowing me, I never really got stuff out of like, out of any lecture, even when I was in undergrad. So mm -hmm. I, my mind, I remember watching my instructors and I would try to focus on what they're talking about. But then all of a sudden I would think, oh yeah, wait a minute, did I turn off the iron? iron? Then I would try to redirect myself and pretty much my mind was just going all over the place. Basically. Unrelated materials, oh, I should call this person later, yada, 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 yada. And I remember talking to my counselor and she asked me, do you think maybe you have attention deficit disorder? And she had me take a test. And based upon that, she said, yeah, I think you actually have this. So I talked to my primary care provider. And, this, and again, this was after the SI episode where, oh, speaking of which, I forgot to, forgot to mention, um, I did see my primary care provider and I did start some medication for okay. the depression. I was on uh, Buspirone, I believe, okay. at first. Mm -hmm. And we continued that throughout until I had this uh, suicidal ideation episode. And I believe he simply increased it, increased abuse around. And of course, okay. you know, encouraged me, Hey, you know, reach out to me. My primary care provider was great. Okay. But and did you have any until... experiences trying um, kind of more traditional like SSRIs, SNRIs, um, you know, Buspar or Buspirone as you were referring to is a great med um, that I have experience uh, with patients, um, uh, but kind of more like an anti-anxiety med um, and not necessarily the first choice I would say for most providers. So, so did you try anything else? It really wasn't until I left school where we okay. did try something. Okay, else. we'll get into that later then. Then, then, yeah. So keep us walking through the story then, please. So, anyways, yeah, my grades aren't going well. I remember I didn't do very well in Emma in uh, MSK, and then cardio started to not go well. Cardio came in the came in the next semester, and again, my mind was just bouncing all over the place. But I was diagnosed finally with ADHD, and okay. we started. And we started a uh, med, I can't remember which medication it was for it right off the back. I think we ended up starting off, yeah, we started off with methylphenidate. Okay. And, I, but I, at the same time, I never asked for accommodations either. So my tests, it's like, I could have done well had I had more time, but I never asked for it. Why didn't I ask for the accommodations? Well, again, there's that stereo, you know, there are those, there's that uh, demonization of people, you know, with, about mental illness in general. So I didn't want, I had this idea that if I had done so, somehow that would be reflected in my academic record. And then next thing you know, a residency program would be like, oh, geez, no, you know, this guy got accommodations, forget that. It's even ridiculous just thinking about it now. Mm -hmm. So I remember I spoke to a professor. She was kind enough to pull me into her office and we talked about it. She was like, wait a minute. So let me get this. And I explained my thought process. So, you know, either, you know, the answer or when it comes to multiple choice, you know, you just narrow it down. Right. And I remember explaining all that to her. And then I talked to her about my recent diagnosis, the, the fact that we were trying out different medication uh, cocktails at the same time. And yeah, she actually brought, and she brought to my attention. She was like, Daniel, think about what you're saying. You could actually use accommodations. Patients, I mean, is this what you would say to somebody who, let's say they had a disability and, mm -hmm. you know, a physical ailment, they need, let's say they're in a wheelchair, they need a, they need a ramp to gain entry to the school. Would you say anything less about them? And after she said that, it started to dawn on me that maybe I should try it. We did. And my academic performance actually improved. Great. Good. Good. It's so, just, it was, so you the, I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. You got these accommodations and, you know, you were starting to improve your, at least, academic performance in, in medical school. But um, 
how were you doing emotionally? And, and walk us through then the decision that, that led to you wanting to take a step away from medical school. It was too, so the, the improvement came in too late. It was too good. It was, there were good changes, but they were just too late. There was no way I was going to be able to pass two court courses in the year. And the contract specifically says that if you don't, I don't want to say they, I hate to put it, put it this way, but I took it. And I just felt that it would be better if I just started back from scratch because obviously I was fighting with one hand tied behind my back to put it metaphorically. So I decided to leave. That was definitely the most stressful thing was allowing myself to arrive to that decision. It's like part of me knew that was the right thing to do. Even starting, even back in the winter or the, yeah, the fall semester, but I just couldn't do it. You know, who goes into medical yeah. school thinking, Hey, that's an option. Well, and there's so many stressors outside of just what's best for my health what's best for me emotionally, even academically, you know, saying cheap, you know, there's no return policy, you know, so it, it's, I can imagine that having a huge influence on that decision. Yeah. And the staff, and when I say all this, this is nothing against PNW for goodness sake, the staff were very supportive. Matter of fact, obviously they don't tell you what to do, but they actually brought that option up a few times. Like, you know, since you're starting out with all these medications, this is an option. Mm. Mm. and it's a legitimate option if anything i felt like they were very encouraging so you you made this decision like hey you know for my health i want to take uh some time away i'm i'm kind of getting better academically but i dug myself such a big hole that i i can't necessarily i don't think i can can get out of it um so at, at what time did you did you step away from medical school um let's see that would have been Mid to late, about mid-March of 2020, like right before the lockdown happened, yeah. and right, yeah. before the, right before the curriculum switched all online. Yes, yes. And so, you know, I mean, obviously there, there was tremendous stressors in that. So I guess like at, at, you know, March 2020, let's kind of split this into, or at least the experience over the last six months, like um, emotional challenges and maybe like, I know you have some financial um, you know, challenges getting back into medical school. And, and so emotionally, how were you doing leaving medical school? You know, I imagine um, maybe some embarrassment, maybe some shame. How, how what was that like? Not embarrassed, not embarrassed. It was re the probably the most stressful time was toward the end in trying to make the decision. Okay. But it wasn't until I met with until I met with Dr. Keene, again, very supportive. And he actually explained to me what the withdrawal process actually means. Okay. Means it's not a blame it's not a blemish on your record. Record, nor is it the end of any potential residency options. I mean, will I have to actually well work harder and or smarter, if you will, in order to up my chances again again? Well, yeah, but at the same time, it's not a death sentence. Mm -hmm. Actually talking with him made coming to the conclusion a lot easier. But other than that, but even then beforehand, and that was what was really stressing me out is, should I do this? And as for, <clears throat> as for what happened afterwards, I, I was obviously sad about it, but at the same time, I was kind of relieved. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because maybe you knew it was kind of what you needed, what your health needed. And, you know, I, I just I just think about it, I feel like this experience is going to make you so much better of a doctor because you're going to be able to relate to your patients and say, look, you know, like I know that, you know, career can't be more important than my health. I have to put my health first um, in order to succeed. And once I put my health first, I can achieve the academic goals that I need to, to become a physician. Um, but I had to make this difficult decision to withdraw from school. Um, so, you know, I, medical school is this weird beast, you know, unfortunately, you're not the first student that I've met, of course, that's had to take a break from medical school. Um, and it's, it's, I see it, I do understand that the you know, at the end of the day, there is, there is, of course, um, financial requirements of the school. Um, and, but there's some things that I certainly don't understand. And, you know, there's, there's this like incredible fee to come back into medical school. 
Um, and I know that's something that my classmates have had to deal with, and I've discussed uh, that with, with many of them. Um, and so walk me through what you have to do to get back into medical school, and of course then all the additional challenges that go with that of trying to generate income in the midst of COVID. Um, so, so what are you dealing with right now, Daniel? Well, so initially, obviously, like you were just talking about, I had to find a job. So I actually did find a job pretty much right after I left school, amazingly. There's, this, uh, there's a scribe company that mainly does remote scribing work, and they hired me on, which, again, I was grateful for because it's remote, so I don't have to go anywhere. But uh, once the lockdown occurred, I don't know why this happened, but apparently most of the clinics actually stopped using their scribe services. I'm guessing it was just mainly because they, don't know, they didn't know how to deal with everything considering the fact this is a big shot this is a big change for everybody it also right? could have been financial you know less patients are coming in and at the end of the day i know scribes of course don't make a ton of money it can of course be a huge expense um but an expense nonetheless and when you have a, a ton of less patients coming in that's that is a concern i imagine oh yeah and actually scribes are really quite expensive as much as okay. you've probably heard about scribes making near minimum wage yeah. Uh, that's because there is a, that's because they get so much less. Of they what, get the shaft you know, out of what all the, the company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. I but follow anyway, you. but anyways, so I so I was planning to start this uh, gig and next thing you know, two weeks later onto my onboarding process, it's just, it's frozen. Mm -hmm. So I had a hard time finding a, finding a job. I was fortunate enough to find a job as a, I forgot what the exact position's called, a uh, grocery online uh, delivery service or grocery online pickup at uh, the local Walmart, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I know some pe people are probably cringing at that idea, but I felt like it was, first of all, when I got hired, wow, I was so happy to have a job. Yeah. Matter and of I, fact, and I, 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 tell I love that attitude, Daniel. You know, I just, I hate people that, you know, how's the best way to describe this? Like shove their nose up to the world. Like, Oh, that job's beneath me. You know, I can't do anything like that. And I just hate that bullshit. You know, I've done cleaning jobs. You know, I've been a waiter. I've been a bus boy, you know, all the, I was a bus boy between my years one and two of medical school over the summer at this golf resort. I got paid shit. I hated it. It was one of the worst jobs I ever had. But um, I got the golf for free, so that was at least nice. But, you know, so it, I, I really am impressed that, you know, yeah, here's this med student who, um, you know, I think a lot of our classmates come from very financially well-endowed families, let's put it that way, um, who would never had to work at Walmart. Um, so I'm glad you were just like, no, this is wonderful. I am, I am blessed to have a job because, you know, let, let describe to the listener though, like, why did you have to get a job? Why were you so motivated to be at that point? Why did you need a job so much? Oh yeah. Well, upon leaving school, this is written in the, and this is written in the policy and I'm sure it's a, there's a bunch of bureaucratic stuff after leaving school. What they do is you receive your financial aid. But somehow or another, the school, they take, they take those funds and they only use it at certain points in time. I'm, so long story short, they had to send money back to the government and I was left with about a $14,000 debt. debt, which again, I was well aware of. They explained it to me several times before I signed the paperwork to withdraw. So yeah, in order to restart med school, I had to have a zero balance with them. Yeah. So yeah, I had to get this job at Walmart. Plus, you know, there's just living in general. My rent yeah. was covered throughout the summer. summer. And, but I still needed food. That and come on, I can't just sit in my house. That's going to, my apartment, that's going to drive me nuts. Absolutely. That, that's yeah. not the type of person I, person I am. No, but I am always working. One thing that I just still don't understand about, um, you know, this process, there's, there's medical students that, that take, whether it's academic leave, medical leave, uh, emotional leave, whatever. You know, my medical school class started with like 145 people, like I was telling you yesterday, and I think we're at 130 mm -hmm. something now. You know, I think we've lost about 10 students. Um, and it's so unfortunate because we live in a society that doesn't have enough doctors. And it's like, come on, like we, we need to just continue to get these students back. And sadly, not all of those students that left medical school end up coming back and completing their, their degree, you know, and just graduating behind me. Who cares? You know, whatever. 
um, we're all going to be doctors in the end. And like I said, I've, I've had friends of mine who've had to deal with uh, this financial challenge, just, you know, 14 grand before they start medical school. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't build that 14 grand into additional student loan money, which is like, why the fuck can't you just add 14 grand onto the, the $400,000 of student loans that I'm taking out. This is insane. Like, why can't you just charge me more on my loans? Who cares? I'll pay it back one day, but here you are as a, um, you know, we, we don't have actual any license. We don't have any real access to earn high income to pay off that 14 grand. That's a, that's a tough debt. Um, so, you know, I'm, uh, it, you started working and then what else did you, did you start doing to try to get over this incredible hurdle? Really? I start, so unfortunately I couldn't take out a private loan until I had been working for a certain amount of time. That was actually my plan was to like go to a bank or something. Yeah. And then eventually I would pay them back at the same time. But because my debt to income ratio, because my previous student loans, yeah. loans was so high, the banks couldn't even help me. They could not help whatsoever. whatsoever. And I tried talking to PNW Financial Aid, and again, their hands were tied. This is some. This is bigger than PNW. Yeah. Like you, like you said, said the policies that are currently in place. May, it's. I hate to sound going on a political rant here, but actually, I feel like it's quite classist by burning people these sort of payments and making it so that any kind of private or public institution has to say, nope, you can't come back in until you pay this outrageous debt, which even if you had, let's say $14,000 to begin with, you probably already spent that mm -hmm. trying to get in the first semester. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, all I can say is I'll try. I imagine it's not like, you know, PNWU financially trying to be bad guys here, like you said, you know, I think we, we all are using, I imagine, at least the vast majority of us are using uh, federal student aid loans. And so I imagine it's some policy with, like you said, the federal aid, um, the U S government, the FAFSA forms that we fill out that has this weird um, policy that that debt um, can't just be built into the loan. Like I, it, I, to me, it doesn't make any sense because every year of medical school, I've had to adjust my loans up or down depending on my financial stressors at that time. Why, why can't we just do the same in your situation? It, it, like, it just drives me crazy. Well, the thing is, if you're going to, okay, I would have owed $14,000 either way. So again, why didn't you just let the school keep the money? So I'm not barred anyways. So you're dealing with this insane financial stress. I imagine that's nuts. And we'll, we'll get to the whole, uh, so you, you did create a GoFundMe page to try to get this moving in the right direction, correct? Yeah, unfortunately, because I was unable to pay it off in time, lo and behold, old people would have saw that coming. It was recommended that I just continue working until I get that paid down. Until I get it paid down. Yeah. Now I did get it down. I did get it down to about eleven thousand dollars. There you go. Fortunately, but even then, I had to go into additional debt using a preferred my own personal preferred credit line. Yeah. So on top of that, and the fact that my student loan payments were going to restart in. January of next year of 2021, yeah. which would, it would have ranged between somewhere between 300 and then I would have had up to like a thousand dollars, depending on what kind of plan I went through. There was just absolutely no way mm -hmm. that I was ever going to be able to pay that off in time for even the uh, semester, the uh, fall semester of 2021. So what did I end up doing? Yeah, I, people kept suggesting it, you know, make a GoFundMe. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I yeah. must be weird. And, uh, and I imagine but you know, Daniel, you really are in such a unique, weird situation. And, and, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, of course, can't help you in a financial sense. But I hope that this episode can can get your story out to people who actually have some financial means actually an income um, that maybe can help you on this journey. Because, you know, you've been through a lot. And, you know, I, I do think that there are people out there that that are capable of easily contributing to your, um, your journey here, you know? And so oh, I, go ahead, Daniel. No, I was going to say, actually, and this is probably, and this is going to be new news to you. My debt's actually paid now. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. Excellent. Congratulations, Daniel. No. That's awesome. Oh, don't congratulate me. Congratulate the, the donors. First of all, so like the I GoFundMe said, I fund page worked. So this episode doesn't even for the GoFundMe page anymore. <laughs> 
right? No, no, Fantastic. I can't even believe it. That, so like the second I put up that GoFundMe into Facebook and so all my peers from the class beforehand, they jumped on that bandwagon like right away. Like I remember the very first person who donated, donated uh, was a peer. She donated like $100, $100. And that's pretty cool. I, the, I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. You know, donating probably, I'm imagining, her own student loan money, which is, you know, that's tremendous. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I know. I almost cried right when I saw that. And and the side and the the most mind-boggling thing is, I think I only said like hi to her once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> but then her fiance, well, sorry, not her fiance, her significant other. Yeah, whatever. Other Yeah, he ended up donating $300 afterwards. And yeah, so pretty much virtually all of my peers made a contribution. And then their family members made a co- made contributions too. Uh, long story short, it got chopped down to about six thousand dollars over the course of a month. Wow. But then, uh, so I went to so again, it got down to about six thousand dollars, uh, more like five thousand eight hundred. But let's round up here. Apparently, I just found out this week on Tuesday that uh, the financial aid contacted me and they said, "Hey, guess what? I got good news." News: An anonymous donor sent a uh, money, a six thousand dollar money order to PNWU. So yeah, if anything, we're gonna send you two hundred dollars back. Man, back in your checking account. Well, Daniel, so, that's that's tremendous. So when do you get to start school again? August of twenty twenty one. Okay. Okay. So next year. Good. Good. Hopefully classes yeah. will be back to normal um, by that point. Uh, I'm not holding my breath by any means. No, but, but so, you know, uh, we've, we've kind of talked at least for the last 10 minutes or so about this financial journey you've been on. And that is just so cool. I, it is so wonderful to see a community around GoFundMe actually work. And then um, there are actually anonymous donors that contribute to PNWU. I hope that uh, me and you both can be one of those donors one day. You know, that would be, that'll be pretty cool. But so let's now talk about the emotional journey. Obviously, you know, I imagine this was you feel on top of the world right now. But you, you did refer earlier that you, you had gone through some medication changes through this also journey, maybe earlier in, in 2020. Can you talk about that? Uh-huh. So <clears throat> I was happy. I was happy working at Walmart, at Walmart for, so, for so long. It just wasn't until they told me that I couldn't, well, that I should not return, that it pretty much they, were, they offered me a year deferral in order to get the, you know, the debt paid off. So upon hearing that, that was definitely crushing. As a matter of fact, orientation week of this year, oh my gosh, that was one of the worst times of my, worst times of my life in a while. I was so, I don't want to say, I wasn't angry at anybody. I wasn't angry at the school. It was just, you know, the whole situation. The situation, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember watch, you know, watching these new first years, you know, going, you know, they're smiling, they're happy, which they should be. And I remember seeing my peers, you know, my uh, previous first year, year peers, and I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Buddy, I just kept my head down. I wanted to be left alone. I wanted to be left alone. I just couldn't deal with it. And actually, if you want to hear something that made that week even worse, my mom, my mother ended up being hospitalized for an episode of alternative mental status. Fortunately, Fortunately, she's okay. okay. It was a urinary tract infection, infection, which of course isn't good. But the fact that I knew that this is something treatable, and again, yeah. I have experiences She'll... as a scribe, so yeah. I was like, oh, oh, geez, good. But yeah, you know, hopefully so you she's going to get better. You know, but, and for yeah. the listeners, this orientation week is August, so about three months ago. And yeah, I imagine, you know, it, it, I would be so pissed off, you know, just being like, you know, I, I withdrew from school. I thought I was going to be one of these... Uh, people starting along with, with this orientation. I want to be a medical student and, and this journey certainly isn't a short one and you, you, you want to get going. I, and so 
So walk us through kind of, you know, were you talking to a counselor at that point? Were you making any changes to your medication? Were you on a new um, medication or anything at that point? Oh yeah. Uh, sorry. I forgot to mention. So while, while I was working at Walmart, yes, I finally did establish with a new counselor because the one I was seeing ended up leaving. She moved to uh, Indiana. So I started talking with a new counselor. And after that, I finally established with a psychiatrist and my psychiatrist has been wonderful. So he started me on a uh, combination of buspirone as well as satilopram. Okay. And I'm still taking, and I'm, and I'm still taking the methylphenidate. Okay. Okay. And how are so, you feeling? Ultimately, much better. Oh, much better. Especially when I started that, uh, when I started the well, new regimen, much better. Better. My emotions are better under control, are under better control. Well, and I'm, you know this about SSRIs. They don't stop you from having depression, I guess. The way it was explained to me by a good friend of mine is that it's like I have time time into or just a little bit more clarity to understand what's going on. And therefore, mm -hmm. I can put my uh, non-pharmacologic management meant, uh, measures into place, such as the fact that I reconverted to Christianity. Christianity I started well, practicing again. I started working out again regularly, which is something mm -hmm. I wasn't doing while I was in medical school. You mm -hmm. see, these things supported me in MAMS. And then when I was in med school, I just fell into the trap yeah. of, oh, I don't have time. Yeah. 10 minutes or 30 minutes of each, each a day or something like that that yeah i fell into that i fell into that horrible trap so that helped that helped that helped out tremendously that and i tried to keep up with the people who are well still my friends they're all in med school so they don't come around as much but yeah mm -hmm. yeah well i'm glad you've you've you know really started to find a regiment that works well for you you know I really like the way you kind of describe that. Like it's, it's just not going to make my depression go away. It's going to just make me more capable to make good decisions. And, and that's almost how I view my medication. And I'm of course in a different situation. I take mood stabilizer meds, um, which are traditionally anti-seizure meds. That's always funny to me. Um, but you know, like it, for me, I'm still going to have those area area. I'm still going to have those times of up and down, still have those motions of depression and mania in some respects, but hopefully this medication is going to help me make those good decisions to go work out. Um, you know, for me, I'm not necessarily a religious person, but I would consider myself spiritual and, you know, just meditating quite a bit and, and trying to focus on my purpose in life and, and how to become a better person. And, you know, hearing your story, Daniel, one thing that I've, I, I really like focusing on, it's one of my favorite quotes from Joe Rogan, is adversity is good. And, you know, it's how you handle that adversity and learn from that adversity, I think makes you better. And, and I always kind of feel like a broken record saying this, but you know, I know you like going to the gym. I like kind of thinking of the mind and the brain going through adversity the same way as your pec muscles go through when you do a bench press. You know, it's hard, but tearing those muscle fibers, if you provide those muscle fibers, nutrients, water, sleep, um, grow back stronger and you can do more on the bench press. And so I think the same as for the mind, if, if you go through an incredible challenge, like you've gone through, um, emotionally with your depression, um, your incredible financial constraints that you've been through. But if you add in proper mood management with the help of a psychiatrist, with the help of a counselor, um, your, uh, exercise, your religious practices, all adding that in, I think are going to make your mind stronger the same way as your, your pec muscle would be. And so, you know, I really think that this experience is going to make you just such a tremendous doctor in the end. I'm of course very biased, but I hope because of this experience, you go into psychiatry the same way that I'm going into psychiatry. Um, what are you interested in anyway? Actually, it's funny that you're bringing that up because I really am concerned psychiatry. Okay, great. I, have I, I've never shadowed a psychiatrist while working as a scribe, so I can't like concrete say that. But uh, so to start it out, when I first started working as a scribe, I fell in love with emergency medicine. That's yeah. what made me want to be a doctor. Watching uh, chest tube installations, heck, even writing a story about it's enough to get, get my blood pumping. I remember I was able to watch, watch one happen, and I was just like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Life. Yeah, IND, yeah, INDs, intubations, all that stuff just makes me happy. 
happy sure. and that's well, what I want the, to do. I like to say ER, ER uh, doctors are basically just mini psychiatrists. You know, they're going to have to be the frontline psychiatrists in many ways. So, you know, if you, if you still have that desire by end of medical school, which I'm sure you were, I, I'm actually starting my ER rotation on Monday, tomorrow. So I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to that. I've, I haven't spent any time in the ER. Um, and, and yeah, but, you know, I think, I think there's of course a mental health component to the ER setting. And I think that you, if you end up being an ER physician, the, I haven't really woken up until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. I think you're going to have so many great skills talking to someone who's coming in who's suicidal, who's, you know, psychotic. Um, You know, I I have a lot of respect for you, Daniel, and I really think you've been through some tremendous adversity, and I'm excited that you're going to eventually be able to to get going here again. So are you now scribing again? You're scribing again. You're no more. Are you still doing the Walmart thing? Uh, Actually, no, I stopped doing the Walmart thing as soon as the, uh, so the scribe company, they finally were able to have me go back through my onboarding process. I was hired, I just wasn't able to do anything. So now I am back to scribing. And speaking as we are about psychiatry again, so I have scribed for outpatient before, which actually made me want to do family practice. Practice. Matter of fact, at one point in time, I would have told you that my dream would be to do family practice while moonlighting in the ED. Mm. That would have been a very good combination for me. However, the uh, PA who, I'm wor- who I was working with very recently, he specialized in psychiatry. psychiatry. So he was still a primary care, well, you know, family practice, but most of his patients were psych patients and people would send them to him. Okay. Um, so if anything, that's what's really got me more interested in psychiatry. Well, very cool. On top very of, you know, cool. my own experiences. You know, and, and you're... When you finally do start up here, I guess August of you know 2021, you're just I feel like going to be in such a better mind space to um, succeed emotionally and academically. So I'm really excited to kind of follow your progress. So one way I, I kind of always like to to close up the show is you know I like to say Daniel, imagine that you could talk to yourself, um, you know, when you were just starting medical school and really starting to struggle emotionally and academically. Ooh. You know, because there's there's probably that same person in the class of uh, who just started medical school right now. You know, it's November in the midst of that, that horrible biochem class. And, you know, in the thick of and, and, you know, adding on that winter getting dark at 5 p.m. That makes it a lot harder, too. Yep. Um, what would you say to that person? How, how would you try to help that person? Well, you know, I've actually been asking myself, well, what I'd say to somebody in that circumstance. Like, if I could talk to myself, self, in when I was in that dark place, I would just be there for the, I would just be there, listen, and tell them that this is, this is going to pass. When you're in that very dark place, place, please hold on. This is going to, this is going to pass. Pass. You came here for, you came here for a reason. If you're not going to hold on for your family or other people, I know some people feel a tremendous amount of pressure when they hear stuff like that when they're in those episodes. But you know, your dream's going to come, your dream's going to come to pass. And no matter what that looks like, your life's going to keep going. Your life's going to keep going. I know I had to ask myself, well, what, you know, what am I going to do? Am I actually going to go back to med school? Do I want to? Want to? It's just, there's something, there's something around the corner. You're, you're suffering now, but it will end. Yeah. And to keep going. And if this is what you want to, and if this is what you want to do, you'll find that inspiration again. 
I did when I was helping. What am I? So I guess to give you an, uh, that's what that's what I would do. And not only that, it's not the wrong decision. And don't let the whole what you how you think you should be doing things like me. I'm almost I'm almost forty. I'm about I'm almost going to be I'm going to be thirty eight in January. So there was always a pressure for me. You know, hey, I should be married. I should be having you know I should have kids. I should have this you know nicer car at this time. Don't listen. Don't let. Don't worry about that stuff. This is your story. Yeah, that's the probably the best piece of advice is I would give them. I think that's great advice. You know, and and you know to piggyback on that, I would just for that person who's maybe struggling at the beginning of medical school and and having a hard time, you know, quite frankly, you're not the first medical student who started medical school and had a tremendous hard time. Like I we talked about earlier, it's I don't know the exact numbers. I'd be very curious to find out for all medical schools, like how many, is it 5% of the student body leaves after the first year? Is it, is it more? Who knows? Um, but you're certainly not alone. You're certainly not the first medical student uh, to go through something like this. And hopefully your medical school has resources that um, can help you and, and help move you on the right path that hopefully, uh, you know, you referred, you took advantage of. And and whether that's counseling or talking to primary care doctors or, you know, maybe even taking a full step away from medical school um, to, you know, figure your life out. It's all fine. At the end of the day, you're still going to become a doctor. Like it's, it's, you know, one year less of income, fine. But at the end of the day, if you went to become a doctor purely because of income, please don't do it. <laughs> just, just yeah. don't. Yeah. Well, Daniel, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. On, go ahead. What else would you like to share, my friend? I guess what, uh, sorry, I guess one last thing, thing that I wanted to throw out there is actually, ultimately, this has been a good period for me. Not only medically am I doing better, not only emotionally and spiritually and well, physically am I doing, doing better, but I actually do feel more inspired than ever. I remember uh, while I was at Walmart, people would tell me about certain problems and I would just start thinking, okay, you know, what's going on, on here? I had one person, she had a sudden onset of chest pain. So, you know, first thing I'm thinking about cardiac, you know, I'm thinking, uh, is this GERD? Luckily, she went to the emergency department, and I remember beating myself up once we found out it was just a, it was a quote unquote just a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, going through stuff like that that just made me think. I just jumped in. It was like that's what I should be doing. Yeah, yeah. So I, anything, I like I how you you, you view your experiences as still good at the end of the day. That's you know, in the midst of when I was in the psych ward and and my deepest days of depression in in the moment i of course didn't like it but you know in retrospect it's it's you're able to look at it with a different attitude and and i try to view it as yeah it was a good thing too and it did make me a better person at the end of the day but well daniel you know i don't want to take too much more of your sunday morning here it has been so nice uh getting to chat with you uh getting to know you on a more personal and deeper level um very excited for you to to start up medical school again um and yeah hopefully we'll cross paths hopefully this covid era will uh will end soon we can actually hang out in person rather than over these two screens here um well great man great man um it's great talking to you buddy i'll uh i haven't really woken up oh, until i've had my mcdonald's breakfast deal and i know this is true because before breakfast <laughs> i put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.